Welcome in to another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. Hello, Justin. Hello, Caleb. Well, um, we have a race recap to get to the Bomberito Automotive Group 500 at Worldwide Technology Raceway, a.k.a. Gateway. Uh, we'll get to that in a bit, but first we want to start off remembering Robin Miller, who passed away earlier this week at the age of 71. You know, on one hand, it felt like you knew this was coming, and it was great that he got to be at IMS one last time a couple of weeks ago for that doubleheader weekend with IndyCar and Cup, and I guess Xfinity throw them in there as well, so truly a triple header. But it, it still still hits. It still hits you. It was, yeah. I mean, it was still, you sent me the text, and it was still kind of, it wasn't shocking, but it was still surprising, um, despite you know the fragility that we saw Robin in at Indy um you know looking back at it Marshall Pruitt you know had said in his uh, salute to Robin on racer.com that that Robin had told him it was his last trip to the speedway and he he knew and yeah you know, it's a sad loss and while we 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 knew Robin uh, we had him on the on the podcast a couple times I had spoken to him several times when when covering the 500 and stuff down there i mean we weren't you know close friends or you know even friends or acquaintances of robin but you know great guy knew his stuff and i respect robin for being one of the few guys still left that would just tell you how it is yeah and wouldn't sugarcoat anything he would just say and write what we're all thinking and um, you know, to the point that uh, that AJ had to slap him, and and you know, I, you know, countless confrontations, I'm sure, with drivers and and car owners. But the respect that he still had from everyone, despite you know, in many instances, just telling the truth, just shows what kind of person he was and the kind of respect that everybody had for Robin. So, uh, tremendous tremendous loss for for racer and and IndyCar and just the entire IndyCar community. Uh, sad to see Robin go, but happy that he was able to experience some things. You know, he he said returning to Indy a couple weeks ago was the best day of his life in terms of how it went. Being able to, um, you know, be uh, nominated for and you know be accepted into the Motorsports Hall of Fame. I, I think, I think he went out experiencing everything he wanted around the sport of IndyCar, and we're gonna miss him for sure. And not too many people get to hear all those accolades and and be honored, you know, before they pass. Right. I think that's absolutely what was unique, but also, uh, you know, it was is kind of a, a nice thing for him to be able to experience that before he went out. And I, I think also the way that IndyCar is the sanctioning body and the Speedway it, it clearly made amends with him before and. And I don't know if that was necessarily a Roger Penske thing, but I think that helped make the relationship, you know, between IndyCar, IMS, and, and Robin Miller more amicable than it probably was even before. But I think that was something that really stuck out to me and that they let bygones be bygones uh, with everything regarding the split and were able to move forward. And I just, I think that was, you know, a sense of closure, I guess, in, in that scenario. Right. Uh, everybody kind of knew 
what they were losing. And and I think, you know, there's a begrudgingly respect for people like Robin that are not going to mince words, that are just not going to sugarcoat it, just going to tell you how it is. And initially that can piss you off, especially if you're on the receiving end of something like that. But you do respect him for just telling it like it is. I mean, that's part of AJ's personality, right? Is, you know, you just got to, he's, he's not going to mince words. And, you know, some of the best in their profession, whatever it is, uh, just are straight laced and give it to you whether you like it or not. And, and Robin was like that. And I, I just, I wish there were more media members in 2021, not just in IndyCar, but I'm talking around the spectrum that, that really challenge the narrative and ask the tough questions and write what we're all thinking or say what we're all thinking and don't care who they piss off. And, and that was Robin. And for those that you know are so worried about, I'm going to you know, lose a source, this or that, Robin still had tons of people that talked to him. And uh, he, was, he, was a, he was a great writer, a great journalist, by all indications, a great friend and a great person. And um, it's going to be tough to go on without him. He was just, you know, that one of those constants, one of those voices that you always associated with IndyCar, particularly, you know, as I became a, a really big fan in the last, you know, 10, 15 years. Well, and while no one was probably a tougher critic on the sport, also, no one was probably a bigger cheerleader than yeah, Robin as well. No one was a bigger advocate for IndyCar than Robin Miller. And I, I think back to, you know, we've all read, you know, kind of his his story and how he went from answering phones at the Indy Star to then getting the covering the ABA Indiana Pacers and then shifting to covering motorsports and IndyCar, which is what he wanted to do, racing midgets and, and USAC, and then you know, honestly, his, his career almost took off even more once he was let go by the star and then went to ESPN and Speed and NBC Sports and Racer. But it's it, it, so many different people, you know, from multiple generations kind of got to experience his work. And I guess I want to get into kind of what are our first memories of Robin Miller? I'm sure I read some of his stuff in the star before he was fired. I don't really recall that era. I think the time I really remember following stuff and I was an IndyCar fan in the two thousands, but I, I I wouldn't say I was like a hardcore. I watched a handful of races, followed it, but it was, I mean, one, it was kind of hard to follow back then. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, when when there's no hope for the future, it's kind of hard to fully invest in it. But I remember when, the unification chatter started. Robin was the one who broke that story, which was then at speed online. And that was, I want to say January of 2008. And he broke that. And then I think he had a second story. And that's really when I kind of remember first coming across his stuff again. I'm sure I read it before then, but that's when I really remember uh, things kind of changing. And of course the mailbag over the years from speed and then also on to racer but that's kind of like my first memory of, of reading and stuff and you know he scooped everyone on that just like he scooped everyone on winston leaving nascar right you know i met uh robin you know when i first started covering the indianapolis 500 um for the new sentinel newspaper here in northeast indiana and in my experience 
in covering events from Notre Dame football to the Indianapolis 500 to, um, you know, occasionally a Chicago Blackhawks game and, and just kind of being able to get around and experience some of these big events. There were many writers and journalists that were and still are unapproachable that that kind of have that elevated opinion of themselves and you knew as much as you respected their work there's no way i'm going to go talk to that person because they just the way they would you'd hear them talk or their mannerisms or whatever just like they're they're pretty pompous and robin was not that robin was as approachable of a person for a you know wide-eyed 23-year-old at the time that didn't know what the hell he was doing to introduce himself and to you know pick the mind of Robin and and ask for advice and he didn't have to do that he didn't know who I was and you know for Robin to do that maybe goes underappreciated because there are plenty of people in the profession of journalism that just simply wouldn't take the time to do that and so uh I, it it just Tells you a little bit about how how accepting Robin was for anybody. He was just a regular person. I mean, in the end, he just came down. He was just a regular guy, just like ever, just like all of us, and never became bigger than than anyone. He he just covered a sport, and it was his living, and he covered it and covered it well, and never thought uh, he deserved any type of extra you know, extra treatment. And and that's not why I think what happened at Indy a couple of weeks ago was so, was so sh- earth shattering to him is because he just never thought he would have that kind of impact, but he did. And to your point, Caleb, it was, it was great for him to be able to ex- experience that and, and understand that prior to his passing. And to, you know, have the, the support of the drivers in the paddock and, and everyone at the speedway and all the series there, Especially, you know, seeing Mario, having lunch with AJ, and AJ mentioned, you know, that was, he didn't come up for the race. He came up to have lunch with Robin, which, I mean, it's just, it's crazy how Robin's heroes became his friends. You know, in in racing, especially back in the day in the 60s and 70s with how unsafe it was, I mean, drivers didn't, you know, always want to make friends with other people because of the risks involved, you know. The risks weren't serious injury. The risks were death. And here Robin, you know, becomes friends with some of the legends. And, and it's not that he wasn't friends, you know, with other guys. I mean, he, he was. And guys would come and go. That's just part of the, the nature of the sport at that time. But to see yourself, you know, grow up and, and guys who you idolized, you know, winning any 500s, winning championships, and then you become friends with it. I mean, what an extraordinary life to have that happen. And, you you know, you mentioned Mario Andretti. I'm sure at some point Robin wrote something that pissed off Mario Andretti. But yet they're the still very close and friends. And that's just, just the uh, the impact that Robin had is, you know, he could write something or say something about somebody and and there was no ill feelings, you know, long term, immediate, maybe. But you got over it and and realized there was nothing personal about it. It was Robin writing his opinion or writing facts. So uh, I think people respected him for that. It's it's a begrudgingly respectful type thing that's that's not easily earned. 
But I, I think with, with what we're seeing, both with what we saw a couple weeks ago and even now, uh, post-mortem, just everybody coming out and, and telling their Robin Miller stories, just tremendous. And um, it, it's sad to see, but also, you know, kind of um, kind of uh, welcoming to read and, and experience some what people have said and, and wrote and, and telling stories and all that, because it sounds like everybody within the IndyCar paddock and even the motorsports world have been impacted in some way by Robin Miller. Yeah, there are a lot of great tributes, obviously. Marshall Pruitt uh, on Racer, Bruce Martin of Speed Sport, Tony DeZeno did one for Trackside Online, uh, Connor Daly did one for Racer, uh, Graham Rahal had a, a, a longer note that he posted on social media, uh, several drivers, I mean, Tony Kanaan posted that he went to see Rob in the hospital, you know, I think just like a week or so ago. So it wasn't just that he had ties to the, the previous generation. I mean, he had ties to this generation's drivers, and they all under, understood what Robin Miller meant for the sport because he could be your, your biggest cheerleader. I mean, like he's been for several drivers who are currently in the field to kind of get them and help them along the way and help them get rides and even advocating for them to get rides before <laughs> they have landed. I mean, that part is, is fascinating, the kind of power he has. When you have all the contacts and connections – you can do that and make things happen. We always, you know, talk about that with Roger Penske, but Robin also had that kind of ability. He absolutely did. I mean, a special guy all around, um, experienced a lot. And, and you know, I, I don't think, you know, you can openly question it. Is, 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 is IndyCar where it's at now be, without an advocate like Robin Miller? He told it like it was. He called a turd a turd. And thankfully, now IndyCar is is not a turd. And, you know, a certain extent, I think we can thank Robin Miller for that. Yeah, and there, there's just, there's never going to be another Robin Miller. And I think that's the part that is, like, the hardest to comprehend moving forward. Because you're never going to have someone like that with just the treasure trove of contacts, connections, friendships. Um, people who, you know, vouch for him. People he can vouch for. I mean, there just will never be another like it in, in the sport. And, and really just, I mean, he's the last of a kind in journalism probably as a whole. It's a it's a absolutely tough loss. I hope whether it's at Indy or, or something or even within the series that there's a way to honor Robin Miller going forward. Kind of like we see the, you know, the Economaki press room and all that. I, I just feel there's, there's something that should honor that guy because, man, he... he did it for so long and he did it well and pissed off a fair amount of people but you know in a lot of ways that means you're doing your job well they have the robin miller award for you know excellence in that's right journalism so yep. and bob jenkins just got that and uh you know it's it's been a year i mean we've lost bobby we've lost um bob now robin so i mean it's it's kind of a a tough time you know within the sport with uh, some of the legends that have passed and before we move on i wanted to get to just my robin story so obviously i've seen robin at many racetracks never really approached him i am a shy person when it comes to approaching you know people who you know may not necessarily be famous but to me are like a really big deal so you know i've, I've seen donald davidson at the museum and failed to approach him just because I didn't want to bother. I don't want to be a bother. I think that's just, just how I put it. But 
I was in Indy. This would have been, I want to say, before the, the the weekend of the 500 in 2019, I think. May have been earlier. I think 19, though. And I was for the rapid response to the documentary premiere. And I was there uh, with my brother and... You know, we saw Robin's like, hey, you want to go meet Robin? I'm like, really? Like, <laughs> <laughs> he's he's going to talk to us? Like, come on now. And so approached Robin, and we chatted briefly. And, you know, my brother's like, Andy's got a, a podcast covering IndyCar. And, and Robin gave me his card, and he's like, yeah, here you go. Here's my card. You know, shoot me an email anytime. You're like, You're like what? I'm like, Okay, so I'm thinking that's great, but there's no way he's going to respond to my email. Yeah. So I, I waited a bit. Because, or it's a fake email yeah. address. <laughs> so I waited <laughs> several days, obviously after the race, till things calmed down, and emailed him, heard back, set something up. We actually had him on on the show, and I'm just thinking, like, is this real? Like, I can't believe Robin Miller is really talking to us, and we had him on a couple of times. So you can go back in the archives and check out old episodes because I think we had Robin on two different times, but it's just, you know, like you said, helping out someone young, if the, you know, if they're coming to him, you know, with legitimate, you know, questions and, you know, he's willing to help and kind of helping you network. And it just blew me away that he would actually, you know, talk to me, let alone give me his card and then, beyond all expectation, actually followed up and came on. And and always said, anytime we wanted to have him on, he was he was more than welcome to. So I yeah, it's it's a big loss and I think you know it, it and it wasn't just racing for for being an indie native myself. I mean he was a fixture as a whole in sports and Indianapolis media for so many years. It wasn't just the indie star he did stuff on TV. He did stuff on radio. I mean, cover the Pacers, uh, cover the Colts, obviously covering the Indy 500 and, and IndyCar and NASCAR. But, I mean, he was just a one of the old school guys who, you know, is, is no longer with us. So we'll definitely miss Robin. And, uh, yeah, it's just it's kind of crazy to think that he's gone. Tough, but, uh, you know, he would want us to keep plugging along and see IndyCar continue to rise from the dead, rise from the ashes, and uh, and honor him by putting on a good product. That's all, that's all IndyCar <laughs> can do, right? Yeah, that is true. All right, well, with that, time to shift to doing our race recap of the Bomberino Automotive Group 500 at Worldwide Technology Raceway, a.k.a. Gateway, last Saturday night. 13th race of the season. Joseph Newgarden, shocker, winning on a short track. <laughs> as uh, Big New- shock. Newgarden dominated the, the second half after Colton Herta uh, went out due to a, uh, what was a half shaft or drive shaft yeah. issue? It's a drive shaft issue, yeah. So you, you look at this race, and there's a lot of ancillary things off track that are kind of fascinating about this week, this past weekend, and this week as far as future stuff at Gateway. But looking at, at takeaways, I think number one, Joseph Newgarden, is, is he not the favorite now in the championship? I feel like he is. I mean, the guy's dominated the middle portion of the season. Maybe not necessarily in wins, but in pace, in leading laps, in qualifying. I think he's poised 
in terms of, of the best chance right now, you know, despite sitting third, but only, what, 22 points behind mm-hmm. Pato Award. I mean, if I'm a betting guy, and I am, but I don't think I can bet it on either DraftKings or FanDuel, but um, uh, it's Joseph Newgarden for me. I think Alex Pillow is trending in the wrong direction, most of it not of his doing. And until he wraps up a championship, I don't know if Pato Award can do it over the final three races. So uh, I'm, I'm Team Joseph right now. How about you? Yeah, I, I think it'd be nice to see a new champion, whether it's Pato or Palo, but just the way everything is trending, you have to think it's Newgarden. I mean, Pato's been solid, but look, whoever wins that third race amongst those three drivers, and they've all won two, whoever wins that third race to me is, uh, I, I mean, I'd be shocked if they're not the champion. And who's winning races more consistently and in, in been more active, has more momentum since, you know, what, June. It's Newgarden, obviously. Oh, it's Joseph, baby. And and it's not really close. I, I think that was my number one takeaway is while Joseph is 22 points back in third, I feel like everyone, and if not everyone, a strong majority think he's the favorite. Absolutely. Um, the way he's been able to perform, he's the one that you feel is – is peaking at the right time and potentially i think you know pato could be his biggest challenger but you know what's crazy is and we're going to get to the details here in a second is even when scott dixon has something actually happen to him at a race and take him out somehow it all works out because (laughs) alex polo also caught up in that and he didn't really lose that much ground despite being taken out yeah i mean he's what 38 points back yeah, I mean, he's still well within striking distance. It's still possible. And even Marcus Erickson, who is somehow, you know, he's going to have to really put together some great results. But, I mean, he still technically has a, a outside shot. Yeah, and, and Marcus Erickson is just that guy that's he's always around at the end of the at the end of the race you haven't really thought much about Marcus Erickson except for his two wins but then you look at the standings and or you know the results and you're going hey that was a pretty decent finish so he's just kind of hanging around there I I really don't think he's a a definite factor but then again you know if he goes out wins Portland who knows I mean he'd have to make up chunks you know in the next couple of races yeah most definitely but you know I I really think it's a four-horse race at this point, and I think if anybody else other than Scott Dixon was fourth, I wouldn't put them in the conversation. Oh, for sure. So that's where we're at. All right, what's your first takeaway? You know, what is my first take? Um, <laughs> I guess we have to talk about the, I don't know if you call it reckless driving, the irresponsible driving. I mean, you look at Renus VK, who... Doesn't want to admit he made a mistake, even though he did. He claimed that because of what happened in front of him, he had to check up. But, but he what was happened dive in bombing <laughs> inside. Yeah, I, I don't buy that. Uh, I think Ed Carpenter needs to sit his young driver down and be like, look, just take responsibility because that was your fault. You know, Ed use it, losing it. I mean, you have Graham uh, being taken out early. You have, uh, I mean, S- Simon was able to re- recover. And finish eighth, but he, you could argue, got cut down by Joseph Newgarden. Oh, for sure. Um, 
it was just uh it was it was a messy first part of the race you know it was a long race first of all like it was you know i, I don't know if time wise it's an ascar esque race but it felt like an ascar it was long. two hours 24 minutes 10.9404 seconds so that's actually yeah, pretty long so, for an indycar race yeah uh so it was a long race and um but you know it was it was decently entertaining there um late but you know you saw ed carpenter do an unforced error you saw alexander rossi make an unforced error owned up to it 100 percent his fault but still rossi actually in line for a decent result third straight and you know puts it in the wall so i feel like you know, I, I don't know what to attest it to. I, I don't know if there's just impatience, particularly early, but there was a lot of guys making some questionable moves, and I'm pointing at you, Renus VK, and uh, and I'm pointing at you, the race winner, Joseph Newgarden, and 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 Graham getting taken out as well, which he was just a bystander. To, to me, that was on Ed Jones. Yes, I mean, he did. He part of it is he, Ray Hall gets the benefit of the doubt, he, but he, also he, rightfully so, you earn that. Well, Ed Jones left the entire lower lane of the track uh, open. Like either he couldn't turn. If that was the case, if Ed Jones comes out and says my car just wouldn't turn, I couldn't keep it down on the track. That's one thing. But I don't. I don't think that was an issue for him. No, I. <laughs> he just. I just left think that. guys were being way too aggressive at the start of the race. And look, you fully expected there to be either a first lap or a very early caution. I'm talking within the first five laps. That was not a surprise. Right. But that it just kept happening. And, you know, it doesn't bother me. I know I think a lot of fans just want a perfectly clean race, but then we get those races and they're very boring. <laughs> yeah, that's the, 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 the balance, right? People get bored if there's no cautions, but and then they get upset if there's multiple cautions or it's too many. So where's that sweet spot for people? Where there's just enough caught is it the, is it three? Is it I don't know what it is, but I think yeah. the timing of the cautions is critical. At some, I, I felt after the early cautions, I'm like, okay, let's let's get some green flag laps in here, some extended time, and we did a couple times. So I thought it was fine. It was just a significantly long race, which you know ended up in the end. I, I just don't think there was much uh, up front. That could be done. I, I really feel that Pato just kind of settled in, and look, I'm going to run for points here, and I don't blame him. Um, but I, I really thought that uh, that Joseph was the class of the field, you know, particularly once Colton Herta went out. I'm going to get to my second takeaway here. Yes. What do you have? I'm going to do this one early because you're probably going to think I'm going to steal it. Are you going to bring up Jimmy Johnson? No. Okay. <laughs> he did not participate. Okay. Well, I he know was, you. Uh, he was you not in the field. You find a way. <laughs> uh, my second takeaway, shout out to AJ Foyt Enterprises. Hey, how about that? Let's clap for him. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great run. Not only for Sebastian Bourdais with a fifth place finish. But shout-out to Dalton Kellett, who put together the best race of his career, and this came after he was spun by another car early in the race. Yes. And was that Ed Carpenter? Who, who was that? I think who? so, that got into him close to the start of a, a restart, yeah. right? It, it was it was not Kellett's fault. It, he did an excellent job on Saturday night. In fact, so excellent that uh, Dalton Kellett and, and looking at the uh, – Number of laps here. Yeah, he finished on the lead lap. 
So Kellett yeah. in twelfth again. Bourdais in fifth. A huge, huge weekend for the Foyt team uh, because I mean, look, Kellett's best result on the season before that was eighteenth. That was at Detroit one. And then for Bourdais, I mean, he's had terrible results. That's his best result since the season opener at uh, Barber, and then he had a 10th at St. Pete the next week. No top 10 since, a couple of uh, top 11s. But, I mean, just a huge result for them. And and with Kellett, I mean, this is big for the leader circle as well. Yeah, that's the biggest impact. He's still pretty far behind, but... Say he can put together some results, he's going to have more competition too. It's not just, you know, the Carlin and the the Felix number seven car, but also Meyer Shank 06 car with Elio will compete the, the rest of the season. And also we expect the number 45 Ray Hall car to compete the rest of the season as well. So a lot of competition at the back, but man, I mean, that huge weekend. And I have to give them a lot of credit, not just Bourdais because he was solid and, you know, they went off strategy and it worked. But, I mean, Kellett was racing people. He's in the top ten for a while. Again, just a great performance. And I understand there's a lot of attrition in this race, but when you're at the back, you got to avoid that stuff. And he was able to avoid it and, and did a solid job. So, yeah, I, I, I have to say I'm impressed. I mean, he was legitimately in the top ten and finished in 12th. I feel like you touched on what I was going to say because I'm a glass-half-empty person is – all he had to do was stay out of trouble. But he didn't even stay out of trouble. Well, you know, you know what I mean? Like, it was attrition. Everybody 16 and back was out. So the worst you could finish, as long as you didn't crash, was 15th. And so he beat Kanan Grosjean Hinchcliffe. So, yes, good on you, Kellett. But attrition definitely helped. Yeah, but again, when you start in the back on an oval... I mean, and there's a lot of crashes. I mean, he started 24th. He started dead last, and he was able yeah. to improve by 12 spots and, and make it happen. So, uh, to me, that's impressive. And then Bourdais won up to him by improving by 13. So yeah, it, was I, a, I, it was a success. Yes, I would agree. It was a success. I, just, I think I, they deserve the praise in this instance. That's all. I, I would, yes, I would agree. <laughs> that's all I'll say. So that was your number two. Yeah. Let's talk Roman Grosjean then. All right. Um, he was screwed by strategy. Yep. But I felt like it was a, a f- very solid showing for Roman Grosjean. I, I feel like he was in he was in contention to finish with a top five, in my opinion, particularly in the, in the um, middle portion of the race where he was passing guys every second or third lap. He was the show. After all those early cautions Absolutely. when we got rolling, I mean, passing Kanan and Hunter Ray and, you know, going after multiple guys. I mean, that was that was the show in, in the first half of the race, and he was the entertainment factor. He absolutely was uh, phenomenal at that portion of the race, and I think could have been a contender for even a podium at that point if, you know, strategy hadn't kicked him in the butt. And it was it was humorous. I felt the um, the, the the best night of the, uh, best part of the night for me was when he got up in the marbles and was radioing in that something was wrong with his car. And uh, Olivier Besson had to basically say, "No, no, no! You're you're up in the marbles. You just you know you just got to go around a couple laps, get that stuff off." So that's how much of a rookie he was. Is you know thinking something was wrong with his car when he got up in the uh, in the marbles there. So it was an entertaining race following Grosjean around. 
and uh, and you know his up and down night and, and finished a little lower than he should have, but overall, pretty successful running for for Grosjean, and we'll see him at uh, at all the ovals next year. Well, at least we expect to see. Yes, him I, I feel like it's pretty safe to say. Yeah, uh, I would agree. And started 14th, finished 14th, but like you said, he probably was in line for a top 10. I don't know if I'd go as far to say top five, but I mean, you're probably right based on the attrition. I mean, it was just a strategy call that didn't quite work out because they wanted to run him all out and not worry about saving fuel just to get the experience. He completed all the laps except for one. Um, Great beginning performance. I think to me to out qualify 10 other drivers is impressive. Yeah. And yeah, he lost a lot of ground on the, the rookie of the year battle with uh, Scott McLaughlin, but we never really felt like that should have been, should have not been realistic uh, for him to do, but here we are. I mean, he's 15th in the points, and he didn't run three races, including the Indy 500, which is double points, and he's probably not going to catch McLaughlin now because he's 23 points back. Now, I mean, the final three races, though, I mean, that is an opportunity. McLaughlin's been great on the ovals, which I think is not what we expected, and has struggled you know, otherwise on, on run street course races. So maybe there's a shot there. Uh, I absolutely, I, I'm not willing to put anything past him at this point. And, you know, like you said, running next year, uh, article on motorsport.com, David Mulcher Lopez, uh, talking with uh, Olivier Boisson and what we expect on uh, all the ovals next year. Uh, Boisson responded, oh, definitely, yeah. You never know if a guy from Europe is going to have it for the ovals or not. Santino was a good surprise for us because the ovals seemed to come naturally to him. Ramon is a little like that. Uh, when you saw the passes he did inside and outside and how he got stronger on the restarts, was really going for it and having a good time. Yeah, I'm definitely not worried about him racing any ovals. There's no question he can do it. And even Bourdais kind of teased that um, on Twitter saying, you know, excited for the next time with a wink emoji i mean i think we all think it's a done deal he's full-time oh year. yeah i think he's back and um we'll be having a lot of fun for sure can't wait all right so my third to- takeaway of this race can we talk about andretti autosport and reliability problems sure let's do it <laughs> i mean yeah james hinchcliffe who had an issue before the start of the race with what is steering wheel is that right yeah, and so like, like he's at, already behind. Warm-up laps, they're frantically yeah. cycling things, trying to get that thing going. So you have that happen. Obviously, Herta has the the issue uh, with the drive shaft, and I think he legitimately was either going to win or at least challenge Newgarden for the win there. Yeah, I, I think that was clear. Rossi's deal was self inflicted. Hunter Ray, only driver to f- truly finish the race. I get that Hinchcliffe was running, but he was. Multiple laps down, Hunter Ray finishing in seventh. But, I mean, we, we keep seeing reliability problems, and you just don't see that at teams like Ganassi or Penske as frequently. Yes, I know Pelos had the engine issues, um, but that's really about it. You don't see it at Penske. No. Although, you know, early in the season we were they were having some unforced errors. <laughs> True. For sure. True. So, yeah, I think it's just a run of bad luck for Andretti Autosport at this point, and even when they have cars dialed in, Herda. Uh, something happens to the car. They had Rossi dialed in. He crashes. So it just seemed to be like one of those weekends for Andretti Autosport where, you know, unfortunately they were bit 
several times by different things going on. So unfortunate for Andretti Autosport, but you know, not altogether, you know, surprising, at least with some drivers. Do you think I mean there are legitimate reliability problems, or do you think it's more bad luck? Uh, it's tough because you know what's interesting is we're not hearing these teams complain about reliability issues. So when you look at Alex Pillow and back to back, you know, blown engines, we're not hearing Chip Ganassi come out and, and granted he's not going to openly criticize Honda, but could also question the validity of the rules and you know X amount of engines and you know this is unfair. But we're not, and that kind of tells me that a yeah maybe it's happening behind the scenes, but b are these teams pushing? things too much was Chip Ganassi racing pushing their engine spec too much and you know resulted in some some blown engines so same with Andretti Autosport were they pushing certain things too far to try to gain an advantage and something happened so I think that's a a situation or a possibility we need to consider with this is you know maybe it's these teams just trying to get every little advantage out of these cars and sometimes pushing parts of the car past their limit yeah i think it's a at least for andretti i think it's a combination of like you said you know pushing maybe a little too far but also i mean let's be honest the drivers have a lot to do with this as well right i mean rossi i mean that's all on him and to me when you're you're pressing it's a later in the season you're trying to get a good result i mean guys like hunter Ray and hinchcliffe they have to do everything they can to get good results because they know they're pretty much gone from those Andretti seats at the end of the season and have to find work elsewhere. And for Rossi, I mean, next year he still has a contract for them, but, I mean, it's so obvious that he's not happy there and that he's trying to, I don't know if he's trying to leave, but, you know, clearly some changes have to happen within that team on the crew side, on the management management side, the engineering side. We all know it's going to happen on the the driver's side with – Herta staying, and I mean, you would assume Rossi stays unless he gets bought out by another team, and they'll have two, maybe even three new drivers next year. So you know there's going to be a lot of changes uh, with that team, but just the inconsistency all season for that team with only one race win, um, with the resources they have, that's simply not going to cut it. We'll see if they can nail change their luck a little bit and get maybe a one or two wins here before the season's out in the final three races. Uh, you ready for number three? Yeah. Let's talk about uh, Gateway and the event and mm-hmm. potentially the future. And we know that the positive is they've signed a multi-year deal well, it to was, return. Yeah, it was signed as a multi-year deal. What, two years plus a three-year option? But then it was reported Saturday that it was a five-year extension. So Correct. So I don't know news. if it's a series option, track option, whatever, but it sounds like the foreseeable future at Gateway is secured. But I just felt like it wasn't as an electric of an environment. They didn't really show the crowd that much. And I don't know if that was intentional or what, because I thought it was still a good crowd. It just wasn't as overflowing and packed in as we're traditionally used to seeing at Gateway. I don't know whether that's because of the Nashville race or it's because of COVID or it's because of less interest in the race compared to a couple of years ago. Combination of all three. I don't know. But it was, in my opinion, a smaller crowd. And we also heard from some people that were had boots on the ground that also said, yes, it was a smaller crowd. I think it's a combination of several things. You mentioned some of them. Obviously, I think 
with the fan base, I mean, a lot of Indianapolis area fans chose to go to Nashville because it was a new event and yeah. then throw in IMS being the week before Gateway. So, you know, those are back-to-back weekends, and then you have Gateway, and most fans aren't going to do all three. They may do one or two. I think that's a huge factor. Obviously, COVID cases and everything, go- I mean, you have a lot of people who simply just aren't going to go till whenever this is over with, hopefully sooner rather than later, but it's not looking promising on that front. Right. And, you know, different restrictions when it comes to on the Illinois side, which is where the track is, and then the Missouri side, which is where everyone in the paddock and most fans stay because that's downtown St. Louis. I mean, there's not a whole lot on the Illinois side of the river. It's an industrial area. I mean, the track was built on an old landfill, right? So, I mean, it's not like there's a lot to do over there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's a very industrial area. But great accessibility to downtown St. Louis, and that is the the positive of having the track built where it is. Yeah, no doubt. I I think, you know, is it a temporary blip? Hopefully. Um, You know, but we've seen this before, right? Iowa, where it's exciting, and then it starts getting less and less and less people, and the next thing you look up, and it's like, man, this is half the crowd what used to be here. So, um, I I don't know. It didn't look like half, but it looks like, what, 25,000 as opposed to... 35 to 40 or so. Thousand. I don't even know if I'd say that much. I, I think maybe it was down, I don't know, 15%, maybe 20, maybe. But it was just interesting that, that NBCSN didn't show packed crowds or the packed crowd in there. Was that intentional or not? I, I don't know because we're so. Look, I become an expert at auto sports or autos, my motorsports and being strategic with the camera angles <laughs> to hide crowds you, you or lack thereof all the time all the time i'm an expert at that i know what's going on you're not fooling me and the fact that nbcsn didn't really push the crowd and show they did some you know some zoomed in shots during pre-race ceremonies and stuff like that but you know they never did address the giant crowd that they usually do at gateway right or or show a lot of fans in the it was just it was just a little bit strategic to me. So we reached out on Twitter, hey, anybody there, can we, you know, get a shot? And you know, a couple of people did, you know, say, you know, yeah, my my section usually is full and it was empty and stuff like that. So hopefully it's just a temporary blip and not the beginning of a trend at Gateway. Well, let me throw in one other thing that I think also is playing a role on this. I I don't know about a huge role, but it's something, and it's not something you can just completely ignore. And that's the report that we saw, uh, I think, what, right before the weekend, that Cup and Gateway could be headed toward a race date next year. And I don't know if that's people, you know, holding out, saying, oh, we'll wait, you know, till next year and go to the Cup race. Um, Adam Stern with the report on that. Not that this is a surprise, because we, we've heard rumblings about this, and it, and it wouldn't be surprising, but what does that mean for IndyCar moving forward? Does that mean that the IndyCar race is just going to dwindle in attendance like we've seen it at a lot of tracks over the years? You know, IndyCar at Chicago, and then they got a cup date at Chicagoland. IndyCar at Kentucky, and then they got the cup date and had huge crowds early on. And, of course, that track, I mean, we don't even think it's going to host racing ever again. Same with Chicagoland. 
Look, it's it's disappointing. <laughs> it's, it's disappointing. But look, a track needs to look out for its well-being, right? And and still, getting a cup race is the premier for majority of tracks, particularly ovals. They don't have any chance to get F one or anything. So I don't blame Gateway or anything. It's just, and I, I get it. It's frustrating as an IndyCar fan because look, Gateway is that one oval that we can say, hey, look, this works. We had a big crowd at this one, but you know what? Cup is also looking for tracks that get big crowds, and gateways could potentially get that for them. So, and, and Cup is looking for tracks that are different from their core portfolio. You know what it used to be, right? One point five mile ovals. They're shifting away. I mean, Kentucky, Chicagoland. Um, they're shedding dates. Like, didn't they cut a date at Atlanta? Is that right? Because that used to be two. Yeah, I mean, you look around and and you know, when, is Kansas only get one? I think so. Um, some other ones as well. So, yeah, it, it's a trend for sure. And uh, look, Cup wants to diversify their portfolio. We've talked about it before. And yes, it's not a mile and a half, but it's a mile and a quarter. I don't know how much different it's going to be in terms of of Cup. And then, you know, you and I were talking. Hey, maybe it could be a NASCAR IndyCar doubleheader or vice versa. But I, I just look at that track and saying, I don't think Cup wants to share Gateway because they're going to look so slow at Gateway. <laughs> well, I think that's, right? the, that's the problem on an oval period. I right. mean, I, on a I, road that's... course, Cup can get away with it because the, the cars are just going to bang around and, you know, bump around. And they'll, it, it'll be entertaining in the sense that there will be a lot of, whether it's cautions or, you know, bumping and banging. I mean, it, Whereas IndyCar, I mean, they're going to run a smoother race on a road course like like at IMS. But on an oval, I mean, with Cup and a shorter track, you can't get away with that. Obviously, IndyCar drivers seem to think that you can get away with that now. Yeah. <laughs> and we saw what happened there. But, yeah, like you said, the speed disparity is why you think NASCAR will never want to actually share a weekend with IndyCar. And if I'm IndyCar, if you can get Cup to agree to it and Cup saying, Look, you have to race Saturday night, and we get every day, you know, all day Sunday. I mean, those are great terms for IndyCar. I don't think they'd care about that. Yeah, I just feel like Cup's going to want a night race, you know, because they're seeing what IndyCar is able to draw on a night race. So uh, it's it's unfortunate for sure uh, for IndyCar, but at the same time, this is business. This is motorsports business, and Cup needs to find places they can go to get big crowds. And you know, Gateway gets big crowds for IndyCar. The other thing is, I mean, when do you have that cup date if it's not with IndyCar in, in August? I mean, it, you can't I mean, have it in it, July. I mean, it'd have to be, what, in, in June? In, you know, May. Maybe May. Yeah. And I don't know about the openings on the schedule. I'm not that nuanced on the details of the, yeah, the cup I, schedule. I, but yeah, I don't know. what. It, it seems like it's a done deal. In fact, I've even heard from people that, oh, yeah, this is the one of the worst kept secrets you know, in in the racing worlds that Cup's going to Gateway next year. So I, I just hope uh, it's far enough away from IndyCar's day to hopefully not affect uh, much the attendance there. Again, as long as <laughs> as long as they're not doing a doubleheader, which I, I, I don't just, think I don't, see it, I don't see it happening. But it is one of the tracks that it could and would work. Yeah, yeah. I just don't think Cup wants to do that. Oh no, no. I mean. They don't really have anything to gain from it, and that's why they don't no. want to do it. Yeah. For obvious reasons. There's there's not much to gain. Okay, uh, looking at some kind of closing notes on this race. 
the TV rating. Uh, I don't think we expected a lot. Saturday night on cable, it's never going to be that great. But I must say it was decent. A 0.25, 424,000 viewers. Um, that was down from Indy. But again, that was afternoon on a Saturday, you know, as opposed to Saturday night. And it still beat out um, the uh, gateway from the year before, right? Two years, yeah. Yeah, I mean, because they, they was tough to find. So it was, okay, here it is. Down from last year, which was daytime, Sunday, and Saturday on NBCSN, but that was the week after the Indy 500 in 2020. They got 545,000 and 445,000 viewers, um, the higher number coming on Sunday, which makes more sense. But apples to apples comparison, 2019 Saturday night race, 0.20, 310,000. Much bigger number. So yeah, I'll say you know twenty five percent growth from two thousand nineteen. I think that's a that's that's fine. We'll take it. And good news, IndyCar outrated uh, trucks, which hey, was Friday night at Gateway. Let's go. <laughs> so I I mean you got to take the wins when you get them. Uh, Xfinity easily beat out IndyCar. In fact, basically doubled it, more than doubled uh, on NBCSN uh, the race Saturday on NBCSN from MIS. But again. You take the wins when you get them, and for IndyCar on cable on Saturday night, I, I guess I have such a low bar that if you're getting ahead of you know, anything over 400000 to me, I'm like, yeah, you take it. I mean, if it's growth, I'll take it. I don't care if it's one extra person. I will take it. And Saturday night was growth compared to the last, quote-unquote, normal season, 2019. Yeah, and I think, I think that's... That is the takeaway. That's the positive thing you have at, at the end of it. Um, really, that's kind of like the other, only other major note that I had. I, I think there was maybe one other or two other things that I saw, but I don't know. Do you have anything else you want to add? I don't think so. It feels like it's been two weeks since that race, doesn't it? Right? It, it really does. Oh, uh, oh, Road to Indy. Um, I did not watch the lights races, but uh, I watched the I heard first they were ten laps of the first lap, first quite race, entertaining and also quite controversial because of tire issues. Uh, yeah, I never heard what happened to the second one, but the fact that they just called the first race off at mm-hmm. nine laps to go, a little weird. Yeah, so in, in lights, they the second race they had a mandatory caution halfway through uh, to change tires and pit. Uh, but props to David Malukas swept the weekend. Uh, beat out Kyle Kirkwood. I mean, that championship battle in lights, I think, is a lot closer than we would have expected. Yeah, uh, most definitely. And I think it's getting a little exciting. Uh, and I always plan on watching lights, but then I get behind in the weekend, and then I'm just like, you know what? Let me just look and see who wins. And it's the person leading with, you know, 31 laps to go. I'm like, all right, I'm not going to miss anything. Yeah, they had a great battle. Bad. Incredible save, too, by Kyle Kirkwood that he posted on social media that he had during one of those races as well. Uh, this note from Marshall Pruitt in the uh, the cooldown lap on racer.com. Marcus Erickson, again, you mentioned earlier, he's just kind of quietly there. He's just there. Finished inside the top 10 for seven consecutive races, which includes two wins and a podium. How about so that? Pretty good results there uh, as well. And uh, we'll we'll kind of see you know what happens 
down the stretch as we kind of get into the home stretch of the season. In fact, looking at the points and IndyCar posted this, I thought this was interesting. Uh, the driver who has led the championship with three races to go has won the Asterix Challenge Cup eight times since 2008. And, and these are the, the instances. So 2008, 2018, and 2020, Scott Dixon. 2011, Frank Keaty. 2014, Will Power. 2016, Simon Pagino. 2017 and 2019, Joseph Newgarden. Huh. <laughs> I'm noticing a trend with Newgarden there. 2017, hmm. 2019. What is this year? 2021. 2021. I mean, it's kind of like Dixon up until he won the title in, let's see, 15. It was every five years. Yeah. 2003, 2008, 2013. Then he won in 15. But then he continued that with a title in 18. And um, yeah, but I, Newgarden's got to be the favorite. Absolutely. And I feel like it's a significant favorite at this point. Yeah, I, I would agree. And we'll see what happens. But, I mean, Joseph Newgarden just dominates on short tracks as well. He's won seven of the last 14 IndyCar races on ovals less than 1.5 miles, scoring a track side online. Career average finish in 23 races on those types of tracks, 6.4. It's pretty good. Pretty good not, at this. It's not bad. It's not bad at all. Uh, a good gig if you can get it. A uh, couple of quick notes. Um, we got confirmation on that it's a surprise. The Music City Grand Prix will return next August, August 5th through 7th. Huh. Shocking. <laughs> yeah, the same same weekend as before. I don't <laughs> think that's any surprise. No. And also... Um, we expect the West Coast swing to happen, and we'll see. Fingers crossed, because it seems like it's a little iffy at this point. I, I get that they've doubled down saying, oh, everything's good. We we mentioned last week a motorsport article with quotes from promoters, and this week Racer has a, an article with some quotes. But the way things are trending and more restrictions, in fact, Long Beach has more restrictions that include, you know, Wearing masks, um, and that that's just due to local health orders. I mean, it's not like Long Beach is putting these restrictions on. It's a little more nuanced than that. So we'll see what happens there, and uh, fingers crossed that uh, it, it works out for the better. And one other quick note on this past race weekend, Will Power, 13th consecutive season. He's won an IndyCar Series pole position. It's a new record. He was previously tied with Bobby Unser and Elio with 12 consecutive seasons. All right, so if you uh, like what you heard, we'd love for you to join us. NewTrackRecordPodcast.com is the website. While you're there, sign up for our weekly email list. You can follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is IndyCarPodcast. Our, on Facebook, like us. Just search for New Track Record. You can send us an email, NewTrackRecordPodcast at gmail.com. And follow us for free on your favorite podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Okay, Justin. Yes. We've gone through a, a lot of stuff. Now time for the mailbag and uh, goes back to championship battles, going back to last week and going back to the old tweets. Um, did you watch the pre-race? I did not. I did. Okay. Uh, Nick J. Fletcher said, would bet the literal farm the IndyCar podcast will shred this pre-race show. Well, it was a lot of the same stuff. Um, it's, it's stuff that, you know, 
that I've been on record multiple times criticizing. What happened last race? What happened to the last year? Let's preview stuff that uh, we've already gone over. So I, I've 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 almost given up. It doesn't bother me anymore because I already know what to expect. Like if if they ever came in with a feature that was uh, put together, you know, sooner than ten minutes beforehand, type thing, uh, I would be shocked. But I just kind of expect what I get right now. So there's no next level type stuff, you know. So I I'm, I'm just accustomed to it at this point, unfortunately. <laughs> Uh, he followed that up by saying, it's been a stretch, talking about the pre-race show. In case you didn't know, track position at a track you can't pass at is pivotal. Babe, <laughs> <laughs> hey, really? Thank you. Yeah. All right. A lot and of responses. It was responses. like a 40-minute pre-race, dude. It was, well, you know, when they put the uh, timer yeah. on the end? Like, they put it up a couple minutes in, and it was like 35 minutes. I was like, oh, God. Like, that makes me want to not watch. I know. Like, just the I short. I through. The short, you know. A pre-race show to me longer than fifteen minutes. Like one, it should be separate on the programming. Unless like on it's the DVR. Indianapolis Five Hundred, it's not necessary. Yes, I I would agree. Now, post race, I would rather have more post race time because a lot of times it's really short, and I would rather watch you know another fifteen twenty minutes of interviews with drivers go through at least the winner in the top five, if not right. more. Yeah, and sometimes they're pressed depending on the the situation to get more than just. Winner and or second place. Yeah, I would agree. All right, rate the race. How would you rate the race? It was like a six and a half for me. I'd I'd give it a seven. Yeah, pretty similar. I thought the first half was entertaining. I mean, you had a lot of crashes, which, I mean, that does not really bother me, honestly. I mean, it it changes things up. You had Grosjean, who's entertaining. I was just, at the time, I was like, okay, come on, let's get some extended green light, green flag racing, which we did. But after, you know, the third or fourth caution, I was getting a little frustrated going, can we get into some sort of rhythm? <laughs> and quite frankly, we're running out of cars here, guys, and we still have 200-some laps to go. <laughs> That's true. They figured it out right at that time. Yes. Uh, all right, so you give it a six and a half, I give it a seven. I mean, I thought it was solid for a gateway race. It wasn't awful. I mean, it's better than previous iterations of the race, but there's been others that have been better. So I would say, you know, meeting meaty part of the curve. Yeah. What What was the year that had the really exciting finish that Sada won? Was that 18? 17 or 18? I think it's 18. I think 18. And 18 and or 19, I think, were pretty entertaining. I don't recall last year being that entertaining. No. I, I 17 race... was the first year, and besides the end with Newgarden and Pagano having contact, it really wasn't yeah. that entertaining. I thought race one last year was better than race two, I want to say. That sounds right. Yeah. All right, so responses here. Uh, Poet Shevchenko gave it an eight. Lots of action. If you could make it past the early carnage, ending was a bit subdued. You can expect Pato to throw away uh, his championship-leading position. <laughs> and then follow that up with AJ Foyt. We rate this race a 9.9 with Seb in fifth and Kellett twelfth. Personal best question mark? Yes. Hey, hey. was indeed a personal best in IndyCar. Uh, N.K. Harden, 7.5. Uh, the first 50 laps were a mess, and attrition took out some major favorites. The action was solid for Gateway, though. Grosjean was one of the best on track until the last yellow got him. The series and teams are getting better at making this track more racy. Yeah, I think they made progress. I think the aero screen has added another element of trying to figure out things, not just for teams, but also the series and tracks when it comes to tire wear. I mean, they... They changed the tires, and the tires are supposed to wear faster, not be as as solid. 
I don't really know how much that played into it, though. With I mean, with that much yellow, it didn't seem to be as big of a factor. Right. And I feel like, you know, maybe something we didn't touch on earlier, Caleb, was the arrow screen. And the, while we didn't see any highlights afterwards with Scott Dixon, I could have swore with the contact, and I think it was from Simon Pagino's car, that it hit his arrow screen. Uh, not Dixon. You're thinking uh, Rosenquist. No, but it, was it, it went Rosenquist? Like, yeah. It, well, no, but they the showed contact. that afterwards. But maybe I just got my cars confused. But yeah, because it never hit the arrow screen, Rosenquist. It hit the camera. Yeah. So it never. But I thought I thought Scott Dixon hit it square on. But maybe I'm wrong. But regardless, I mean that was a sharp. I mean it 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 moved the camera. That it was the inflate from Pagano right after the contact with Newgarden. Yeah, and it, it it knocked the camera off axis on uh, Rosenquist's car. So I, we, you know, we can debate whether it was deflected or not, but the fact of the matter is that was if it would have hit an open cockpit, that could have been bad news. So another reason, you know, another example why the aero screen is valuable. Uh, according to Stitch, gave it a six, uh, calling the first half of the race a Thunderdome. <laughs> uh, NK Harden gave it, uh, uh, added, uh, I found my new favorite thing so many IndyCar fans do. Nashville in the start of Gateway had too many wrecks. IMS Road Course in the last 200 laps of Gateway were boring. All they want is two hours of side-by-side action with no wrecks and 100 passes for the lead. That's it. <laughs> yeah, they, you know, it's a fine line for that perfect race. <laughs> Fontana uh, 2015 still had uh, a finish under yellow, and that's you know regarded as one of the perfect races. So okay, just just pointing it out. That's all. Hunter's Way 67 gave it a seven. Some great action uh, on the restarts, but that swerving needs to stop. Grosjean was incredible. Last 30 or so laps were a snooze, though. Yeah, it the finish was not really what I thought it could have been but that's probably a Pato. i don't think had anything for new garden yeah and even if he did i don't think he was going to challenge he wasn't going to push it no. no there's no incentive to do so yeah jeremy from hbg says i give it an eight uh but i time shifted it and you could fast forward through commercials <laughs> fyi i'm doing the same thing with the discovery channel show and the breaks are twice as long there <laughs> Uh, Car McFast one seven. I slept through some of it. <laughs> <laughs> it did. I mean, if you watched it, it live, late. It, yeah, it, it was late. Yes. Uh, Zave J thirty two gave it a five. Just seemed like so many stupid decisions and simple mistakes by the drivers. That's I, yes, fair point. It's yes, kind of well, hard to know, argue. For you know, we make so much about oh, it's so great when we have twenty five or so drivers and they all dri- drive professionally. This previous race was just to remind you that they're not perfect they're still race car drivers they still think with their steering wheels and their lead foots before their brain so you know to keep things in check we did see some stupidity last saturday night 500 indy 1911 gave it an eight compared to last year much better needs to be a night race and good to hear a five-year extension yeah again like iowa iowa i get you have a double header um if that Saturday race is not a true night race, to me, I'm very disappointed. Uh, I Yes, I would agree. Definitely. And, and Gateway needs to stay the same way. I understand last year things were different, um, but, I mean, keep it a night race. Jamin T14, given an 8, said very entertaining. Uh, Zach Curley, 8771, saying that I was there, the yellows at the start, and the difficult passing. 
Got the crowd a bit out of it at the start, which wasn't great, but there was some great excitement beyond that. Or, there was some excitement beyond that. I'll go 6.5. If Pato could have really battled Joseph after the final caution, that would have been great. Um, let's see. Uh, Johnny Stir gave it an 8. Um, a couple of references on the crowd. Uh, C. Denevsky appeared to be a bit down. The section I was in, entry to turn 1, was pretty empty. Hard to tell for sure. Other sections closer to start finish. And let's see if we have any more. Uh, another one, Bill uh, Hesse. Our row in section 39 was empty except for us. There was not as much advertising on TV or radio than in previous years. And again, that one's kind of forgivable if you think about it because, well, you know, global pandemic and budgets and things like that. Yeah. I mean, it just may not have the advertising budget because you're just trying to get by. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it, it seemed like, uh, you know, maybe that was a simple reason why less less advertising. But, yeah, agreed. When you don't have that revenue coming in from a year ago that you usually have, probably had to cut back a little bit. Uh, this from also from Jamin T14. August was expensive. The highlight package from Saturday would be better if the dollar amount of each crash was included. <laughs> no, no, knowing turn one at Portland is next. <laughs> Very oh, nice. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> that is so, so, so true. Um, this note on Marcus Erickson. Let's see if I can find it here. From Jack Metallic. Marcus Erickson has been the top-performing Ganassi driver for four consecutive races. What if Dixon is beaten by two younger teammates in the championship? Will he call it quits? Uh, hmm. no, I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. Um, I think he has some, some to give still. I think he, I mean, to him, yes, you want another championship, but also I think he wants another Indy 500. I think that's more of an I would incentive. definitely agree. Some notes on uh, Robin Miller passing, Vicky Lynn 26, writing in. And I just read not long before this that he was taking a break from the mailbag again. I was fast, RIP Robin, and Gay Harden saying, Past few months have taken many icons of the sport. Uncle Bobby, Bob Jenkins, R. Legends are growing older, but man, what legacies they have and will continue to leave behind for generations to come. And a couple other notes on Robin. Uh, Depster1 tweets, May not be a journalist who is a bigger advocate for the sport they covered than Robin. I'd recommend listening to his episode with Dinner with Racers. He tells some great stories. I'm not sure if I've uh, listened to that one. Me neither. I've listened to a handful. I... There are so many of those episodes, I don't know if I'll ever get caught up. <laughs> I agree. It's one of those things where, uh, you know, eventually you just fall behind too much. Yes, and I think that's where I'm at. Yeah. And then this from Chucky WX. Guys, I started reading Robin 30 to 35 years ago in the Star. Never been a part of a team, IndyCar or anything, just a fan from Indianapolis. Robin's passing has got to me more than anyone I never met. There's a hole that will never be filled. He connected with us all very well written and, and well said to wrap up the mailbag this week okay moving on to news and notes and, and honestly a fairly quiet week when we're talking about news and notes um a few announcements regarding Hunkos. Ooh, what a surprise toby salary will be ending his 2021 lights campaign switching his focus to stepping up to indycar i think that was a bit of a surprise uh, he's kind of struggled. In fact, the Hunkos team is, you know, on the light side. I think it's struggled more than we would expect. Yeah. This season, he said, uh, with immediate effect, he'll end his light season. 
decision made after a disappointing run of results with Hunkos Racing. I mean, that's part of the problem, too, with Indy Lights as the season goes on. You know, drivers with IndyCar aspirations or at least, you know, not limitless money are going to start looking at it with at this point of the season and going, there's no use for me to keep, you know, driving. And this, these, the money that I have left over for the rest of the season will be great for next year's Indy Lights season or next year's IndyCar season. So it is an issue for sure, but I think it's always been an issue, I think, in, in motor racing and junior formulas is, you know, kind of dropping out if, you don't have a limitless or unlimited budget, and you're, for all intents and purposes, out of the, the championship race. Some more rate the race uh, notes here. Daniel SCM 2004, 8.5. Plenty of on track passing, lots of drama outside the last 30 laps, some dumb decisions by questionable drivers. AJ Foot racing with a very positive race. Grosjean with a solid first oval race. Should be nothing for Justin to complain about. <laughs> oh, I'll find something. There's always something. Yes, there's always something. Bengals DFW gave it an eight. A few quick cautions early are to be expected. Mixing up race strategies, mechanical bad luck, decent passes, thanks to Grosjean. Could have been a 10 if we'd had a race at the end. Um, let's see. Also, some notes. Um, people tweeting in uh, this from Bauer Racing. Uh, <laughs> screenshot of CGR IndyCard. This is a note during the race. Uh, Bauer Racing saying, you really pissed them off. <laughs> And this is CGR IndyCar tweeting lap 50 out of 260. Blows moved up 10 spots since the beginning of the race, while the legend Tony Kanaan is running <laughs> the same pace as the leaders. <laughs> aye, aye. I think they do that intentionally. Uh, and I love it. It's great. It is great. We appreciate the uh, extra attention uh, on that. Let's see. No doubt. Let's see. We have, I think, a few more. I forgot to get to this on the championship poll. 48% of you said Newgarden wins the championship. 30% award, 14% below, 8% Dixon. Tyler underscore Allen. If Newgarden keeps up this streak, he'll do it. He seems like Dixon, that once they find their stride, they're hard to stop. Daniel SEM 2004 says, still think award pulls it off. He's been the most consistent throughout the season. Dixon has been getting slower as the season wears on. JNU will make it close. And Autosport Lab saying Dixon because he is Dixon. <laughs> Fair assessment. Game set match, yes. Uh, also, uh, more notes on the crowd. Tyler underscore Allen said it seemed down, but it's hard to judge what it could have been without COVID. Yeah, that's a a key factor on there. Uh, Autosport Lab also tweeting us, uh, hey, I, I have for you a meme from the future, September 27th. This is funny. Uh, it's Scott Dixon and Alex Pillow chatting and uh, – Pelo saying, hey, why are you always winning championships? And Dixon saying, because I'm Dixon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all you need to know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty simple. I mean, the, the, the standard is set. You're not Dixon. Sorry. That's just how the rules work. Yep. Okay. More news and notes. So we mentioned Toby's salary. But also, we got to mention a sponsor. Hey. For the IndyCar side. Remember, they're running Portland and Laguna Seca and Long Beach. And Dynamo Edge, all one word, will sponsor, and it's the number 77 entry. So not number 32 like they ran with Kaiser in the past and other drivers, but the 77 car, Dynamo Edge, will be the sponsor. Um, they will be the, uh, I guess, the primary sponsor is the, the way I took this press release. 
Um, I don't really know anything about the company by reading this release, <laughs> so that's actually not good. <laughs> hey, who cares? They as long as they pay the bill. Yeah, that that is true. As long as the check clears. Yeah. So Congrats to them on on getting a sponsor. Are you doing some crack research here? Uh, I'm going to try my best. <laughs> what is it again? Dynamo Edge. So like dynamo and okay. then the word edge, but all one word. I'll, I'll do my best here. Uh, they don't have a Twitter account. About a website. If they don't have a website, well, I'm a very problem. concerned. <laughs> yes, I would be very concerned. Um, let's see. Oh. Maybe, yeah, I'm not seeing anything. Okay. Hey, so, get that get that check first. Yeah, get that check. <laughs> Hope that check clears. But good news, I'm kind of surprised we haven't had an announcement on the driver. I mean, I, there's still some time. So, but I would expect a driver announcement, you know, before race week. But yeah, you know, we last last podcast we talked about uh, on the on the Wikipedia page, and yes, I know it's Wikipedia. That it had Kyle Kaiser in there for 14 through 16. Now it's TBA. Huh. Wonder what changed. Just saying. Maybe somebody saw it and said, that's not right, and took it out. Okay, getting in on on Silly Season stuff. Uh, There was a racer article on Max Chilton saying, I definitely would love to stay with the team, obviously, as they're part of the family, but I need to call teams if that doesn't happen. I mean, basically, no news in there. But I did yeah. find that article fascinating because, look, I I I bash. I'm hard on Max Chilton. Uh, I'm hard on Carlin. But Max Chilton made a great point that look, it's it's in this sport in 2021, it is near impossible to compete as a single car team. There's just too many good teams around to be able to do that. And with the shoestring budget that Carlin's doing this thing on, which Max Chilton mentioned without mentioning it, kind of, but basically saying, "Look, you know, we we're not on the shaker rig. We, you know, we're basically showing up and running, run with your brung type thing for Carlin because they have no data to to bounce off. And when you're looking at, you know, Nashville, where you have one practice session, then qualifying, that you know, some of these condensed weekends, they have no hope whatsoever. So. I feel for Max Chilton in the sense that, you know, he's really a guy that's on an island with not much help in an underfunded team. And, you know, for them to get better results, I think they need a better driver. But also, Max Chilton has no help whatsoever. So, you know, maybe he is maximizing what he can do with that team. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Daly was 11th at Gateway at a track he's normally good at, but because Practice, qualifying, and race were all on the same day with a practice session that was in the daytime, which makes it kind of hard to really know what you have. I mean, 11th is solid, all things considered. I mean, that's a track that Connor's usually very good at. But yeah, it's hard to disagree that you have to have at least a two-car team to be competitive. And we've seen how that's even helped Meyer Shank this year, having multiple entries at tracks. They've run better. Yes, Absolutely. Not, not both entries necessarily, but, you know, one of the two, they've been able to, to hit on the setup. Yeah. So, hey, look, I, I I mean, thing is with Max Chilton, too, is, you know, it, it, you know it, does Carlin need to keep him because they keep the money flowing? But I don't know if that's the thing anymore. I, I think, well, 
even with Gallagher gone, I imagine his dad is giving a sizable check to that team, to me, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. That's possible. But, um, you know, Carlin's got to switch it up at some point. They need to add a second car, and I know they've discussed it, but we'll see it when we see it. You know, uh, they have to show some progress with this team, in my opinion. And is it with Max Chilton or not? We'll find out. Some silly season notes from Jenna Fryer, the AP. There are paddock rumors that Pagano is headed to Shank to replace Harvey, who presumably is moving to Ray Hall in the high V third car. Also, uh, Ryan Hunter Ray indicated he's for sure not back next season, talking to people, but is only interested in a competitive ride. That part is interesting because how do you define a competitive <laughs> ride anymore in this define sport? competitive i think everybody can be competitive and also from fryer award takes aim at a driver he won't name then indicates he's talking about rossi i think people know who they can race dirty i had a lot to lose today and they know that that's interesting yeah a little bit and then these notes from indycar deep throats first off on the track side Homestead in the running for a race next year as the track is open to bringing the series back. Per source, it sounds like the goal of the track is to find a title sponsor and for it to optionally uh, be the second race of the year after St. Pete. Time will tell. Sounds great, but good luck getting a title sponsor. (laughs) Oh, man, you're so skeptical. Look, if they want to bring it back, let them bring it back. Let them figure out the financials. I'm just saying the track, though. I mean, it's an ISC track. It's a track that IndyCar has raced at in the past. If they're interested in bringing it back, I have to feel they did their due diligence to potentially have a sponsor, I would hope. It could be the reason why we don't have the schedule yet. I mean, I think... Yeah, I th- I, that's what we said. I think the longer we We've been we wait, under the impression that it's basically the same, and then we add it in Iowa, and we lose... You know, Texas goes from two to one. Right. Um, I think it's a very good question. I think the longer we wait, the better chances we have that we're going to have an extra race that we're not thinking about. Could that be Homestead? Uh, I, you know, Roger's priority has been to add ovals, not oval. Iowa is an oval. So uh, we'll see. I mean, Homestead and Richmond are like the only other semi-viable options for IndyCar to go to, right? They're just, I mean, there aren't places that seem like they're even an option. They're oval tracks. Rockingham. <laughs> yeah. Don't laugh. North Carolina, Rockingham, North well, Carolina. I'm North Wilkesboro is probably going to be back for Cup e- either next year or two <sighs> years from now. That's what I've been told. Really? Yeah. That's a smallish track, isn't it? Well, no, yeah, I think it, it wouldn't be for IndyCar. It'd be for Cup. But why couldn't it be for Cup, for IndyCar at some point? If they're putting the upgrades in it, and I think it seats similar to... It's not like a huge grandstand. I think it seats similar to uh, Gateway. Yeah, I mean, the the ideal attendance amount for Cup and IndyCar anymore is like 40,000. Yeah. Because the crowds, I mean, it just they're not in that growth phase. However, things have stabilized as well. Yeah. And looking at, at yeah, capacity is 40,000. To me, it goes back to the banking. And it, I just, it, it may just be a bit too small, too. Isn't it smaller than Richmond? It is, let's see, yeah, 0.625 miles. It's not too small. And Richmond is a three-fourths of a mile? I think so, yeah. I mean, Iowa's not that big. It's like, true. what, 0.75 Yeah, or that's true. 
but yeah, it may be too small. You're you're not wrong. Uh, yeah, I don't know, but if they're putting in the uh, Iowa seven eighths of a mile, eight, so you're right, eight point seven eight seven five mile, point eight seven five. Um, you know, maybe, but you know, I, I feel like there's 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 options. I feel if if Kansas still wants to exist, maybe they need to have another IndyCar race. If if New Hampshire wants to keep existing, maybe they need an IndyCar race. You know, I'm being optimistic here, but you know, maybe I'm being too optimistic. That's your job to being the optimist. I'm supposed <laughs> to knock you down to reality. I I guess. I, I mean, look, I, I feel if IndyCar could get five solid ovals, that's good enough. I would agree. I mean, I, I'm you know I don't think seven, eight, nine. That's the goal. I think if you get five, so Indy, Gateway, Iowa, uh, where else? Indy, uh, Gateway, I, Iowa. Uh, not Texas. Texas not te- is not a long-term solution. No. Um, Homestead, Richmond. I would throw in Richmond, Kentucky, would be my yeah. five. And then, in a perfect world, Michigan. And Michigan will have a new track president. So clearly the Get stars are aligning. with your Michigan, <laughs> which did put on, I thought, a very, very good final five, six, seven laps of that cup race. I didn't watch all of it because I have a life. But <laughs> I also watched the last six, seven, race, six, seven laps and was thoroughly entertained. I mean, we, we kind of frown at, oh, they just get to beat and bang and all that stuff. But there is aspects of cup not at a place like michigan i find that that entertaining but they did in the final five lap like there was a lot of pushing and shoving uh but you know staying in control so there was a lot of you know aggressive but not wrecking people whereas this week at daytona definitely see that on saturday (laughs) night which you know i may tune in Although we have we we finally have some F one racing to watch. Yeah, that's true. F one is is back this weekend after the uh, summer holiday. Yeah, looking as forward to say. it. Uh, these also from IndyCar Deep Throats, um, Ray Hall, uh, Letterman Lanigan Racing, and Meyer Shank Racing will have their driver lineups announced before uh, the long weekend. That's talking, you know, Labor Day weekend. That's the expectation. So what do we what do we expect? At Ray Hall, we expect Graham Ray Hall, Takuma Sato, and Jack Harvey. Would you agree? Yes. And then at Meyer Shank, we expect Simon Paggio and Elio Castroneves. Yes. All right. Is that your final answer? At right now, but you know, I'm eagerly awaiting. You know, I expect. You know, obviously with the passing of Robin, I think it's shaken things up a little bit. But um, Marshall did tease another. Uh, update for the silly season this mm-hmm. week. So could that change our minds? Potentially, yes, but I think right now that's a safe bet. All right, this also in regards to Genesis. Uh, Genesis leaving Hinchcliffe at the end of the year. Apparently Genesis felt uncomfortable leaving a big team like Andretti to go on with a smaller ride. Uh, Ray Hall was off the table and Dale Coyne Racing won't happen because of A, Genesis backing out, and B, Genesis specific about the team they're with. Yeah, I think... Sounds Which, like Genesis uh, sees the writing on the wall regarding the options Hinch has, along with the performances. Genesis might stay involved with IndyCar, but it's not going to be with Hinch. Hmm. I feel like Genesis's future immediately is with Andretti. Um, you know, 
Which stinks because, you know, Hinchcliffe brought Genesis in, it appears. We're title sponsor for races or race. Oh, multiple. They, yeah. they did a race last year and then a race this year at Texas. So I feel long term, you know, they need to get some return on investment in terms of car success. And I don't think you're getting that with James Hinchcliffe. I bet they'd be thrilled to be with, uh, I don't know, Kyle Kirkwood or Roman Grosjean next year at Andretti. Maybe. <laughs> Just a guess. Yeah, wouldn't be bad. Would not be a bad setup. Okay, I think that is it as far as silly season stuff uh, to get to, at least on the IndyCar side. I think on the F1 side, racer with the report, Michael Andretti investigating pursuing Formula One team takeover. Haas is out of the cards. So what is the Surprising. other team? Uh, you have Alfa Romeo Sauber and Williams Grand Prix Engineering. Both those teams were recently sold within the last five years. Obviously, Williams last year. I would think Alfa Romeo would be kind of the leader in the clubhouse in this. And when we mentioned that Andretti filed what's called a SPAC, yeah, that was an indicator to me that, they, look, they're trying to raise yeah, big money correct. for what? Trying and, to raise $250 million. Yeah. Um, the goal of taking the company public uh, on the NYSE, which former Andretti uh, sponsor in IndyCar, interesting enough. Yeah. But, yeah, that, that whole deal seemed to be a clear sign that they are trying to fundraise for an F1 team. Yeah, I, I I feel like that that was the you know the writing on the wall when that uh, was was come up. It's interesting to me that Haas was immediately off the table. You like, would think Haas uh, would be the team that would want to sell, unless they already have plans to sell to the Russians. And I'm not joking. <laughs> I just you know it's already on their car. Um, I could see Haas giving it a, a go next year, and then if if things don't improve, you know, bowing out. You know, maybe they already have a handshake deal in place. I don't know. It's just kind of weird that that wasn't because that was the immediate thought is, oh, they can take over the American team. But no. But, um, you know, easier said than done. You know, those things tend to go to people with deeper pockets than Michael Andretti. That's for sure. So uh, we'll see. I think eventually he takes over a, a Formula One team of some sort. I just don't know which one? Yeah, and would it be more like he's the team principal as opposed to the owner? I get that he wants to be the owner, but that, I mean, I know, he doesn't want... have the financials for that right now, but could he in a yeah, handful of years? It. Yes, he could. I mean, I could see him wanting to be the the Zach Brown of, of Andretti Autosport with a Formula One team and, you know, IndyCar. Okay, so we just got a couple other quick notes. Uh According to Jenna Fryer, all IndyCar drivers are fully vaccinated. Good news there. Smart fellas. Shout out to Mike Conway, who won the 24 Hours of Le Mans with Toyota last weekend. Um, finally got, got the win with the uh, hypercar. So congrats to Mike Conway, former IndyCar driver. Who nice. Won what? Did he win two IndyCar races? Three IndyCar races? I thought he won two. He won at Long he? Beach with Andretti and Didn't Ed Carpenter. Det- did he win a Detroit race? And he won a Detroit race with Coin. Yeah, so I think it's three. Because then he win Long Beach twice? Am I crazy? I know he won a race with Ed no Carpenter. He won Long Beach twice. He won a he race. He did. He did win yeah. Long Beach twice. He has four wins. He won Toronto. Oh, I forgot about that. That was also with Ed Carpenter, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Wow. 
It's a partial season in 2014 with Ed Carpenter won two races. Because I remember he won Long Beach in 2010 or 11 with 11. Andretti. And then when did he win? Uh, let's he, see. He won Detroit with Coin in 13. 13? Okay. He just did the double headers that year. <laughs> it's crazy. A little bit. Uh, so shout out to Mike Conway. I mean, that is a career-defining win for him, and he's had a lot of success in sports cars and finally got that Le Mans win. So congrats there. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that uh, stepped away from IndyCar racing, and, you know, it was his prerogative. I, don't, you know, I think he made a great move because he's had plenty of success following that, for you, sure. You just don't turn down a Toyota deal for international sports car racing. I mean, that is one of the top teams. You do not, and I think he's in first again in in WEC right now. He won it last year, mm-hmm. the championship, and I think he's in first right now. So we finally have news on the Allen Sir Jr. book, and it's called Allen Sir Jr. A Checkered Past. Jade Gers, the writer, if that name's familiar, same guy who wrote Beast on the 1994 okay. Penske Indy 500 car. Uh, the book officially hits bookshelves October 1st, but you can pre-order now direct from Octane Press and save $5. He has a link on his Twitter account, Jade Gers, and it's Jade, J-A-D-E, and then Gers, G-U-R-S-S, is the spelling. Use code UNSER5 to get the discount. So a heads up there, I'm probably going to buy this book. I just finished reading... Uh, John Oriovitz's book on the split, also an Octane Press book. So, again, support your racing uh, and, and motorsports writers. Good stuff uh, from John on the book. I learned so much, very thorough, very in-depth. But everything kind of came to a happy conclusion at the end because, well, Penske bought IMS and IndyCar. So this this will be an interesting read on, on everything with uh, Little Al. And uh, I think with that... I am ready for your random split era driver of the week. Are you ready? Did some digging here. Okay. And uh, went way mu- way too much in the weeds with the 2007 uh, champ car season, which was the uh, final champ car season for those Wait, scoring. Neil Johnny. No. Um, uh, it was almost my pick, but then he's racing Formula E, or did at least last year. Like, he has a pretty successful career. Let's see. I'm looking. Racing. Speedy Dan Clark. Are you looking at it at the? Yeah, I pulled it up now. No, it's not Speedy Dan Clark. <laughs> Who is it? It's Alex Figgy. Yes. The American race car driver born in Davenport, Iowa. Yes, Alex Figgy started racing professionally in the Star Mazda Championship. Actually won Portland in 2000. So actually had a win. Um, let's look. He went through Star Mazda, USF 2000, raced three years in Atlantics, uh, and then debuted in Champ Car in 2007 uh, with Pacific Coast Motorsports, which was a new team in 2007, joining Champ Car because it was going to be the re, you know the revamp Champ Car, you know, new team. They <laughs> new, did those staggered the start car. things, timed races. Yeah, the Panos. The, well, the new car was the following year, and it raced one time at Long Beach. <laughs> well, I thought they had a new new car in 2007, too, didn't they? I don't believe so. Or at least it was a new engine spec, I think. Uh, 2007, 
I let's wanna, see. Let's see. I'm looking it up. Oh, we got to do. Panos sold chassis. Yeah, supplier. new car was the, the Panos DPO one. Oh, okay. So it was. It did race in 2007 season. Yes, um, it was on ABC, ESPN that year. A lot of optimism for Champ Car that year. Where did it go? Nowhere. Down the drain. So Alex <laughs> Figgy in 2007 competed the entire season outside of Houston. He was injured at the Long Beach Grand Prix. And you look at his his uh, performances and you're saying, you know, it's not too bad. He only had one top 10, and that was at uh, Las Vegas, of course, the Vegas Grand Prix, the street race. Uh, but then again, you look at the fields for that year. 17 cars, basically. Yeah. So when he has <laughs> finishes of 16th, 16th, 17th, 17th, 16th across the board, you you kind of have to do next level and look at that. That wasn't, that wasn't too good. So Alex Figgy finished uh, 17th in the points. He was last place among full-time drivers in that season. And that was missing a race, too. Yeah. So maybe yeah maybe he was punished for that because he did with you know he did miss a race but um, he did do an IndyCar race actually he did the year after Pacific Coast Motorsports well again kind of misleading because that's uh, the, the Long Beach race that true. the the DPO one cars performed at Will Power won the final Champ Car race even though it received IndyCar points exactly so you know Champ Car. Went away after that, and Alex Figgy also went away. But, you know, next level for uh, the Pacific Coast Motorsports team uh, did race Alex Figgy at Long Beach, but then Mario Dominguez raced that rest of that season. Didn't qualify for the 500, but then was in Milwaukee, Texas, Watkins Glen, Mid-Ohio, Edmonton, and Sonoma racing uh, in IndyCar that year in 2008. So there was some other races that Pacific Coast Motorsports did, but that new team in 2007, it ceased operations in 2008. So it wasn't around for very long. Um, but back to Alex Figgy, when we look at the rest of his career, um, he transitioned to sports cars after the merger um, and joined the Ferrari F430 team in American Le Mans. And had two, a couple top six finishes. Did the Pirelli World Challenge in 2011. Uh, and in 2014, was still doing that with K-Pax Racing. Of course, one of your favorites. And then... Never heard of him. Uh, disappears. So, uh, still still with us at age 40 from Davenport, Iowa. Um, but, uh, yeah, came up in what was, you know was effectively the road to Indy back then with Star Mazda, USF 2000, and Atlantics. Uh, did win in 2004 in Atlantics at, in Monterey, Mexico. Got his win. His one and only win in three years of Atlantics. Uh, also won Portland in 2000 with World Speed Motorsports with Star Mazda. So maybe he'll jump into the seat here in a couple weeks at Portland. Who knows? <laughs> but... Uh, that's Alex Figgy. Um, got his start in 2007 with Champ Car and with Pacific Coast Motorsports. Thought, man, here it is. Exciting series, making a lot of changes, new teams. But after 2007, really never saw him again. And that's our random split air driver of the week. Yes. Some, some of those names, man. Speedy Dan Clark. I forgot I was looking. Nelson Philippe. 
Yeah, you ran let me tell IndyCar, you, the, the, those fields HVM. in 2007, I mean, I, you know. On both sides, mind you, because they were 17 on both sides. Yeah. And the fact that they could somehow handle that amount. And then in 2008, we had, what, like 27, 28 car fields. Yeah. And then, obviously, the recession happened. It was down to about 22. But people who just got into IndyCar in very recent times, I mean, 17 car fields was the norm for a long time, you know, before reunification. Yeah, but the thing is, like, we can't use any of the drivers in 2007 IndyCar because we're all, like, those are, those are the joke ones that we, you know, talk about all the time. So it's Alex Barron is in there and Richie <laughs> Hearn and Jimmy Kite and, you know, Phil Giebler and, you know, those guys that we're always joking around about. Like, P.J. Chesson was yeah, in there? Yeah, P.J. Chesson is in there. <laughs> P.J. Jones. There's a lot of P.J.'s. Yeah. 2007 but it's always like those <laughs> we always joke about those guys so they're 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 uh they're random they're not well known but to this podcast they are very well known yes the the legends of the late IRL era yes I mean yeah most definitely Thomas so, Inga yeah Thomas Inga in Thomas Schechter which I mean Schechter. he's too he's too well known to be a random yeah. driver but Inga definitely fits the bill yeah, I'm, Laurent uh, Radon or whatever. Yes, he's in there. Um, so it's going to take a little bit more digging to try to find some early, uh, early IndyCar series randoms uh, if we kept going because it's it's very difficult. You get into the uh, the Frank Pereiras, yeah, the Jaime Camaras. Jaime Camara uh, led like forty laps at Richmond in two thousand eight. Only you would know that. Yes, only I would Enrique know that. Enrique Bernoldi. He raced an F1. Fun Did fact. He? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Enrique Bernoldi. So Camara and Bernoldi are on that Conquest team in 08. And Jaime Camara was led a bunch of laps at Richmond, eventually crashed. Bernoldi had raced an F1. Now, I don't. I can't remember how many starts he uh, made. He had 29 starts. Okay, that's F1. more than I would have guessed. With Orange Arrows, Asia Tech. Yeah, so the, the old Aeros team. Yeah, and raced in 2002 with a Cosworth engine. Didn't know that. Yeah, so, I mean, there are a lot more F1 guys who joined the field when the split ended, you know, than you would realize. I mean, we still have a handful. I mean, we got Sato and Grosjean and Rossi, which, I mean, that one barely counts. Yeah. Chilton, Erickson. I feel like I'm forgetting one other guy. Am I forgetting one other guy? Uh, that might be it. Oh, but yeah, there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot to to go to go with here. But you know, we're going to exhaust our options with the split era before we entertain uh, anything else here. Yeah, it's a it's a fun game. I enjoy it. No, it's it's great. I mean, and and it's 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 a good convo starter too because you, you know a lot of these names you you don't know, but as you start digging. You you remember the team and re- remember this event and stuff like that. So it's it's a lot of fun. All right, time for tweets of the week, and it's only one tweet, but I thought it was perfect. Uh, this from NZR Consulting, and if you don't know who that is, that's Tony Cotman's you know firm. Uh huh. We've we've had him on before, uh, and the uh, official account tweeted, and I would assume this is Tony uh, tweeted. I wonder if the mess on restarts at Gateway is the track's fault. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Huh. Interesting. That's kind of funny. Yeah, I thought that was great <laughs> and the perfect thing to close on 
for this week. All right, next week we'll be back. We're expecting a lot more announcements on the driver front. Again, a, a couple of weeks off before we get to the final push before the end of the season. But again, thanks for joining us for Justin Kinney. I am Caleb Hatch. This has been another episode of New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.